Hello and welcome to Sam Green Race Engineering Episode 6. I'm Sean Smith and I'm joined by not only Sam Green, Hello. but also Alistair Walker. How's it going, buddies? Hello. All pretty good, mate. Yourself? Very well, thank you. Excellent. Good. So, boys, what are we going to talk about today? I'm going to tell you. We're going to talk about Sam's little project he's got on his little thing, which I'm sure will blow up nicely in, in, a, in a nice flowery mode. No, not really. It's going to be his, his really cool, cool thing. Sam, talk, talk about what you're doing. It's, it's sim racing. Uh, yes, uh, but I've been decided to take my sim racing a little bit more seriously. Currently, uh, I race with a group uh, called Community Sim Racing on the, on the Xbox, um, primarily on project cars, but we do dabble in a few other uh, games, I suppose you call them, uh, as well. Um, but yeah, a variety of different series. There's not very many other uh, motorsport clubs where they have an IndyCar Championship, a Group C Championship, and a Touring Car Championship. Yeah. So, Unless you maybe go to the Silverstone Classic. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, so what we're going to be talking about today is basically we're going to be introducing you guys listening to uh, sim racing, sort of what it is. Um, it's 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 origins in some ways where we first saw it in motorsport whatever the gaming side of it and why this is more so than your general video, Gran Turismo video game um, and really just sort of talk about the series and, and talk about our experiences because obviously Al you're, you've been fairly uh, active in the sim racing scene as it were yeah I've been active on and off I'd say for years yeah and obviously Sam's got his one here so that's what we're going to talk about Right then, I suppose the, the key question is, uh, what is sim racing? Sam, do you want to answer that one? Uh, well, I mean, essentially, sim racing uh, primarily is just a, a video game. It should be just a bit of fun um, with some of your mates. But obviously, in this, in this new wave of esports uh, across the board, um, there is now competitive sim racing as well. So a lot of the official series that run on things like iRacing that Al does, um, a lot of the NASCAR series are done on iRacing, but also um, the Le Mans series, the European Le Mans series does it on Forza, um, there's a various other ones, the Gran Turismo World Series as well, um, all that use uh, standard available software that anyone can get, um, and all that you could just, if you're good enough, take part in. Yeah, so I suppose the first time I heard about sim, obviously sim, we should say, stands is a short for simulation or simulated. Yes. So essentially, what the way, the way I first heard about it was back when I started watching F1. Um, you'd see the test drivers, you'd hear about the test drivers and the drivers learning the tracks on essentially video games um, on very large screens with their big, bigger. Uh, I suppose they're a bit like the the sort of fairground rides you see, where they sort of simulate a roller coaster. They feel there's similar rigs to that. Where you can sort yeah. of feel feel some of the G forces, well, some of the cornering forces, um, and you can you can learn sort of where the bumps in the tracks are. You can learn how straight, where the braking points are. Generally speaking, how your car's going to set, set up. And through the last I don't know 10, 15 years since then, obviously the technology has improved, much as you've seen in video games. And uh, these days, it's it's part of the course for every every single F one team to uh, and and many other teams aside from Formula One to essentially have a sim. Uh, a sim team, as it were, sort of testing and developing the car alongside the on-track stuff. 
equally, now a lot of racing teams also have an esports division. So yes. they have their sim driver, who is like a development driver, yeah. basically. And then they have the esports guys that are sim racing drivers. So they're just a different discipline. Yeah, that's, the, that's, um, that's literally F1, for example, and MotoGP, they have their esports side of it, sort of to, to cap into that little, that, that growing market. Um, and yeah, have their have their name represented already because, um, in many ways, you know, esports, which of course means electronic media sports, uh, computing, computer sports. Um, that is, it is in some ways a threat to to normal sports, but uh, essentially the the the, uh, the big players are sort of cashing in on that while they while, while it's young and while it's cheap. I would actually add to that, not necessarily while it's that young. Um, mm. Sim racing, I think, is actually slightly ahead of the curve with esports in general, because it's been competitive online for, I think, longer than a lot of other things have been competitive online. And yeah. well, I mean, I know there was like gaming contests way back into the eighties. <clears throat> yeah, but I think racing was one that definitely picked up. So. 10, 15 years ago yeah, into when I, when running say, online. When I say young, yeah, I'm like young compared to, say, football, for example, or the NBA, or you know, the, the, the classic sports, as it were. It's, it's relatively young and growing. Um, and yeah, so that's that's uh, kind of where we've, as the internet's come along, obviously you're now able to race, race people online as, as you guys do. Um, and for the domestic clients, people who have PlayStations can play Gran Turismo, Xboxes can play Forza, and that's I guess the 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 the, the basic uh, level of uh, of the category. Yeah, I mean, but we they're sort of Gran Turismo is sort of a, a middle ground, I would say. Forza probably more along the lines. I'm sure Alice would agree of more of a simcade sort of game. Yeah, I think Gran Turismo and Forza are actually on pretty level pegging. Forza, especially later versions, they're actually not too bad once you get decent hardware set up to them yeah so but just you have to the, go um, to a fair amount of effort to get them to that stage yeah so what we're talking about there with simcade is obviously you have arcade games which would be like forza horizon where it's all about your drift angle and how big your skin is and things like that um or you have at the opposite end of the spectrum a full-on simulator yep um, things like dirt rally, high racing, uh, uh, Compensi Zone, uh, a set of course of Compensi Zone as well is sort of more at that end of the spectrum. And then you have the middle ground, which is kind of accessible to more or less everybody. Still fairly difficult if you set it up right and if you if you dial it down, a bit easier. I would disagree with you slightly there i'd say there isn't any true rally sims out there i think dirt sits slightly below it and even the wrc ones i think they don't take enough into account of the simulation yet to sort of breach that boundary between a very realistic game and a dedicated sim yeah i think the rallying they've got the added there's about 50 times more variables as well, to be fair, which makes it a lot more difficult to program. Though it is getting there because uh, softwares like iRacing have now introduced dirt racing, so I can't, it's somewhere in the US 
there's a university with a dirt oval, and they were essentially studying how the track surface reacts and changes during... Because tarmac is pretty well known, how tyres and the tarmac interact. That's obviously a big part of setting up a racing sim. Mm. So they were studying how that worked on dirt. Well, that makes sense, because it's sort of... It is just, if you've got the data to set it up in the programming, then it will work and it will make sense and it will feel correct. Mm. Yeah, I think and it's that's realistically, that's, that's what um, a lot of the sim drivers that I race with, even, um, that's all you really want. You want it to feel right. You don't necessarily want it to feel hyper-realistic, so you can't physically drive that Indy car, but you want it to feel correct. Well, here's the thing. I think some people sometimes mistake difficult for realistic because if we take something like a gt3 car for instance that's in lots and lots of sims yeah obviously to go very fast in them not easy but i don't think they're actually admitted i will say straight off i've never driven a gt3 car my impression of them, because of the dis way the class was designed, is I don't think they're that difficult to drive, because they were designed for a mix of professional and amateur drivers. That's correct. Yeah, that's true. So I don't think, especially with all the traction control and ABS, I don't think it's a complete unruly monster if you hop behind the wheel of it. No, that's true, but you do want it to feel, if you go into a corner a little bit quick, you want to feel the front end sort of scrub across the road. If you yeah, get on well, the gas a bit early, you want to feel it squirming about a bit where the tyres are breaking traction. Um, but you want it, but yeah, but that's sort of, that's where I'm coming from. It needs to feel right, it needs to feel correct, because there's a lot of games where it just sort of doesn't quite add up. Um, and that's not the ones that you would necessarily use for sim racing, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense, because, as you say, with, with sim racing in particular, let's just talk about the, the differences between what we call a sim racer and a, a full-on simulator compared to the arcade stuff. So something like Gran Turismo and, and Forza, they sort of have a, quite a, a washy feel underneath them, um, and then yeah, it's then sort of feeling the differences between these bigger games such as R, R Factor, iRacing. And I remember when I first played Project Cars, for example, and you could sort of feel the bumps in the road. And this was on a on a, an Xbox or, or a PC. You could just you could feel the, the 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 detail that was going into that game compared to something like the sort of smoothed off arcade feel of those other games. Um, yeah. So I I mostly race on Project Cars too. Yeah. Um, just because there's a lot of various different classes of race car rather than lots of different road cars and a few race cars yeah um so yeah that's what i use and i think it's pretty good um not, i've not done a huge amount of track driving but obviously i do quite a lot of driving at work um on in karting um so i know what a track feels like yeah and, then, and when you use a steering wheel, which I'm sure Al is going to come on to talk about in a minute as well, a proper steering wheel with force feedback and good sensitive pedals with the right sort of resistance, um, it, it can feel very, very immersive, project cars. Um, but it's not perfect. It's not brilliant in every sense of the word. But it's pretty good. Yeah. Al, do you want to go into the, 
you, you, you are the, the guru of the the full sim races as, as they were so uh, yeah just just how, how how much different would you say what what is it that actually makes a sim racer that nth degree different to the the middle tier of project cars and the the lower tiers quote unquote of uh the 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 console the console sims yeah so the big difference is maths it's what the program is doing in the background so something like Forza and Gran Turismo actually do do this to a degree they don't use as detailed models if you go to some of the more really arcade races like I think there was something called Blur out years ago or Burnout they really wouldn't but what makes a difference is the way it models things like tyres suspension the mo- basically it's all in the modeling of the physics of the car yeah so that what what eh, pardon me that's what makes a truly detailed simulator is the amount of data and information you've got going in yeah it's what's going back and, through the wheel to to you as i was, I was saying sam the um when i first played project cars this was i played it like a it was like an lmp1 car around suzuka and when you come under the tar- under the bridge and you're coming up to the first the the uh, the hairpin you could feel these bumps as you, as you come into the corner, and that's just something that yeah. I've never experienced before. You can hear the trace or bottoming out, or feel it coming through the the, the vibration sensors on the on the controls, um, and that's what made it that it, I just opened my eyes to how different these things are compared to your uh, old school style um, stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. What I've, I found um, just on that note, just on the feedback side of it, I, I last week um, I was in my Group C championship. Um, and we are racing a, a historic Monza um, in absolutely torrential rain. Um, <clears throat> we came underneath the bridge going towards what is now Ascari. I, can't, I think it, I can't remember what it was called at the time, um, but it was just a flat-out left-hander. But underneath that bridge was a enormous puddle where the water where it would dip, the water collected there, which is quite clever. It's good modelling. Equally, when I hit it in a very low Group C car, the aquaplaning through the steering wheel was ridiculous. I near, I very nearly spun it off. It, it, the few of the other drivers around me did just yeah. hit the puddle and just lose it, just spin completely. I managed to just about keep it because I was a little bit behind them, saw them spin and slowed down a bit. Uh, but but um, that's all part of... The immersion, I suppose, is the word. Yeah. Uh, you want that feedback to, to make it feel more realistic. Yeah. Yeah, and this is what goes a large part into getting it to feel right, is to do with the quality of the information. So if you go to something like iRacing, which is, I think, by a lot of people regarded as one of the pinnacle commercially available sims. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Every single track in that simulator is laser scanned. Mm -hmm. So it's not reconstructed from photos. If there is a bump on the real track, you will feel it. Yeah. Equally, the cars are laser scanned. For iRacing, they get data directly from the manufacturers. They take measurements from the car. They get as good a quality of data as they can. So they can model what the real car would be doing then comes the difficult another difficult bit which is then translating that to the user 
Yeah. Which actually has quite a lot of variation, and it's something I've read quite a lot into personally. Because <clears throat> a lot of things like me and Sam have commercial-grade wheels, they lose... So saying like iRacing, as I said, has laser-scan tracks, so it will have every bump that is on that circuit. You lose a bit of that with commercial grade wheels so like logitech thrustmaster wheels mm -hmm. because of backlash and slack in the belts and gears that they use and because of essentially a limit of torque right so wheels can experience something called clipping where basically it's trying to give too much information it's trying to use too much of its force and so say you're on full lock the steer or going through a corner, the steering's heavy because it's all loaded up, you're feeling the tyres slipping, and your wheel hits a curb. If, you've got, if you're trying to use too much force feedback strength already, you're not going to feel the curb because it can't give you that extra bump. Yeah, that makes sense. This is where we come on, and this is sort of the next step in how do you get a simulator to feel right? What's the ultimate simulator setup? <clears throat> Pardon me. And this is what a lot of people like F1 teams, um, a lot of universities have set up. So this is something called a direct drive wheel. And this is essentially a high-torque motor. So a lot of um, people have got sort of homemade and DIY kits in the consumer sector to do this a lot of them use um industrial conveyor motors because okay. they've got the strength to do it but in essence instead of having the gears the belts whatever and a small motor generating your force feedback you have a very big very talky motor and you put a steering wheel on the shaft in the middle of it and we should say by having that it basically means the the amount of force that you have to do into the into the wheel is that much harder than it, than it would be through the, the small gears and smaller parts. Yeah, it's find. not just force either, it's detail. So With commercial-grade wheels where they've got belts and gears, there's slack, there's backlash, there's a bit of movement. With a direct-drive wheel, basically every movement you make on the steering wheel is translated exactly, I mean almost exactly, it depends how good the encode, rotary encoder is. Yeah. Equally, it can then give that back to you in the feedback. It can give you a lot more detailed feedback of small bumps, of small sensations that you just miss with other wheels. And equally, um, things like your pedals. A lot of commercial-grade pedals we use potentiometers, so just a simple resistor that says how far the pedal's moved. Mm -hmm. A lot of high-grade ones, especially for the brake, will use a load cell. Okay. Um, the advantage of this is it's related to the pressure being put on it, not the position, which more closely matches how actual real world brake pedal would feel because you've got the hydraulic feel of it sure and i think on some sims i don't know if, if it's commercially available or not they can sort of feel like when brakes um, are fading they can they can put that in, into the system they can have it so when when the tires go light you can feel the difference in the pedal there 
um, is it, as you say, it's just the details that these um, these sim games and sim setups can give you over the general sort of I guess digital on-off settings that uh, the low, the low, low grade stuff gives you. Yeah, so I mean, for example, a certain amount of that will come from the software as well. Yeah. Um, of the input data, so to speak, and then the output data is what your steering wheel does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like Al says, the higher sort of spec you go, the more detail you get, mm-hmm. and then the more realistic it is. If you look at someone like, for example, two quite well-known drivers who also do some sim racing, Lando Norris and Max Verstappen, their rigs, in the inverted commas, their steering wheel and pedal setup is probably worth around £10,000. Which is, for most people, not a, a viable option. But for No, no, not in the slightest. But for them, obviously, they can then use that to learn a new circuit. Yeah. And because they learn it on something like iRacing, if they learn it on that, that's what it is. Yeah. Al, have you got anything else to add on that? That bit. Um, you were going to say something else when you were just before Sam put in. Yes, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> oh, I think we were talking about. Um, I was still with input detail, but now I can't remember what it was. Oh, well, I was. I was. It's also getting the right combination of it. So you need the right combination of quality input data and quality output data. Mm. So you can have the best. You can have, as Sam said, those £10,000 sim rigs. If you don't use that with a good quality software, then it's useless. Yeah, if you're using you... a £10,000 sim to play Forza, you're kind of wasting your money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I obviously don't have a £10,000 sim. I've got what I'd say is a nice commercial-grade sim. Yeah. You've got your and it's noticeable... Like, if you find something like Wreckfest, it's notable how much sort of less detail you feel, or Forza Horizon especially, it's noticeable how much less detail you feel than some other things. Hmm. So, if but, I, sorry. Those, those games do have their place. They are good fun. Not going to oh, yeah, they're good. Wreckfest, but they're not a simulator. No, no, not at all. And it's to do with what's going on in the background so they're simply not taking account of a lot of the things which give you the detail of output mm. yeah exactly mm-hmm. now the format i want to go on to the a lot of the reason why sim racing has become uh i guess more popular and also more um accessible and the development is also ramped up is because of a lot of restrictions in motorsport these days in terms of the testing and in terms of uh, the on-track testing, I should say, and dyno testing, that sort of thing. Um, The more investment in technology that certain teams and the relevant companies, be it it Logitech, be it Xbox, be it whoever else is involved in the the process, they will develop the game the game and well the coding which creates the game to make the get the the product more realistic um and that's been seen in f1 more and more like for example um i think it was antonio giovinazzi was doing ferrari's um sim work last last year i think it was um at the hungarian grand prix and all of a sudden they went from being nowhere on the friday to basically being back at the front again due to a whole night's worth of sim set up on overnight 
Um, and as you say, Sam, it's then, then, then become, you've seen now drivers from professional disciplines joining the, the online community, as it were, in, in the actual race events. Yeah, I mean, I think it's quite cool that you can, if you're on iRacing, you could do the Spa 24 hour and you could be grouped with Lando Norris and Max Verstappen. Hmm. It'd be quite daunting, yeah. don't get me wrong. That'd be great. But it great would be quite cool. Be yeah. I do actually have another interesting one on that note, which is um, about Dale Earnhardt Jr. in the States. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so he, he does quite a lot of the Oval stuff. Yeah. So. I remember reading basically that he got beaten in a race on iRacing by a guy that was basically just an enthusiastic sim racer, liked motorsport, so did sim racing because that's what he could do. Yeah. And because he beat Dale Earnhardt Jr., Dale Earnhardt Jr. gave him a car to drive. Oh, cool. I think it was a late model stock car of some variety, so only like a local track car, but still someone had managed to get a drive from doing sim racing and I think this is becoming more of a recognised alternative way into motorsport. There's enough competitions now and enough kind of awareness and respect from actual motorsport that being fast in sim racing can sometimes... I will say very rarely, if you consider the number of people doing it and the number of people that cross over, but it can help you break into professional motorsport. Equally, quite a few amateur racing drivers, so club-level racing drivers in things like the BRSCC or the SCCA in America, will do sim racing kind of as a bit of a laugh and a bit of a way to stay in practice yeah that's what we said what we were saying before because they can't always get in the the cars as such to test be it through the rules or be it through the expenditure um sim racing is a pretty it's becoming more and more of a, a realistic alternative yeah i mean for example, just as a basic example we went up to donington a few weeks ago to watch the 750 motor club and in that was uh formula v now on Automobilista, I believe. Alistair, there is Formula V cars. Yes, there. there is indeed. I think there might be slight specification differences between those and the 750 Motor Club ones. But um, because it's on PC, you could potentially find a mod for it. To make it the same as what he races. So yeah. if you could go on there and drive a Formula V car around Brands Hatch or whatever circuit he's going to next, he hasn't got to pay four to five hundred quid to do a test day. Yeah. Well and even even if it's not completely accurate, you can still get the idea for the what sort of vision vision you'll have into corners, what sort of Yeah, you can sort of pick out your visual markers, you know yeah. roughly what gear you're gonna to need to be in. Yeah, exactly. And things along those lines, even if it's not a hundred percent learning exactly where to break, yeah, you know it's, it's better than it's gonna be on... a hundred meter board. Yeah, it's better than appearing on the Friday and suddenly think, Oh god, there's a corner there, oh better break. But um Yeah. It's as we say. It's it's a uh, it's a good. It's been some more and more uh, viable alternative. Um, one of the last points I wanted to sort of go on to was um, there's always the debates between in in the the video game community and I suppose sim racing as well whether or not uh, the visual realism matters more than the the physics and the uh, the immersion I suppose. And Al, because I'm thinking with uh, things like your like old R Factor, which is ancient. Um, the graphics aren't necessarily as high-tech as, say, Project Cars, for example, 
but in terms of the dynamics of the cars and how they react over bumps and the the steering input the sort of the sliding and that sort of thing it's, it makes up for it that way i mean do you guys have a, a particular view on what is more important yes yeah, so um, i'd say with that if you look at a hardcore sim so say i racing compared to a high level simcade like project cars 2 mm -hmm. Project Cars 2, because of its weather effect, its reflections, all of its nice visual stuff, is very demanding on the computer. Yeah. iRacing will run on a potato with a processor shoved in it. Because it's not that graphically demanding. It's actually... A lot of its code at its core is based on NASCAR Racing 2003. Mm -hmm. um, it's been evolved over the years, but that's where a lot of its core code comes from. And... Yeah, it, the graphics aren't very demanding because what it's spending all of its processor usage on is doing the simulation of how the car works. Yeah. I mean... So I think graphics matter more to the consumer sector than they do the professional. So if you look at someone like Toyota or Ferrari... Mm -hmm. They will have their full motion simulator, they'll have a mock-up of a cockpit, and as long as it's, as long as the track is sort of close enough visually that the driver can almost tune it out that it's just there, then it doesn't need to be any better. I think it's only when you get into the commercial sector that you get people thinking about things like VR, realistic reflections, things like that. Yeah. Oh. I, oh, yeah, I'd agree with Al, though, realistically. Is if it feels really nice to drive on, it doesn't matter too much how much how good or bad it looks, as long as it's correct enough that you can see things like marker boards, you can see exactly where the edges of the track are. But if the advertising hoardings aren't correct and they don't look brilliant, that doesn't matter, really. No, because you're going to pass them 100 it. miles an hour, so you're not going to see them anyway. Exactly. Um, so as long as it's it looks good enough, and equally, I really like. You look at some of the PC stuff on the really really high speed. You go, wow, that looks absolutely. Yeah, they get best of both worlds. And it and it must make it easier when it looks really nice. Yeah. To sort of pick out bits and pieces, but as long as you can actually see the track realistically. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say that because my favourite racing game of all time is still Formula 1 2005 on the PS2. Because once you put that on, like, a, I don't know, say a 30-inch TV that's about four foot in front of your face, because because they put so much detail into the, the car model as such, the rest, if, if you ever stop the side of the track and look at, look at the crowd, they're all like pieces of cardboard, it's, it's awful. But for the immersion side of that, I'd say that it made far more difference than, say, for example... The current Codemasters games, which feel a bit a bit more sloppy, they feel like you, well, if on F1 2014, for example, you can literally drift the back end into, into the corner, and and come out the other side. It's a completely different experience. Yeah, which is not correct. Clearly, no. yeah. I the difficulty they have with making that realistic is you've got an official license, mm -hmm. and everyone wants to believe they could be an F1 driver. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's, yeah. that's just... So you actually of, could be. Yeah, you have to kind of flatter people with the physics a bit there. I mean, no, come on. I mean, Whereas a hardcore sim will just kind of 
laugh at you and say, no, if you've not got the talent to drive it, you can't. Al, Al are you telling me that my championship drive in the Minardi was not realistic? Did it break down a hundred times? Well, no, I, I won ten races out of 18 and then broke down the other eight. <laughs> the reliability is probably realistic, but the winning potentially not so much. Well, I, I think what we need to do there is turn the difficulty up a little bit. <laughs> what are you on about? It's on top difficulty with no traction control, not ABS. <laughs> yeah, and it was on of my course. Wheel. Anyway, um, but yeah, so basically we're saying that for the for the, for the sim purists, so quote unquote, you care more about the uh, the fidelity of the dynamics and the experience as opposed to the nth degree of visuals. I'd say, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, although even with things like iRacing now, virtual reality is becoming a more popular option. Yeah. I will happily stand to be corrected. I don't believe that there are any sort of professional people using it, using a VR setup. Most of them achieve that by having a full-scale mock-up of the cockpit of the car. It's like... Yeah. I remember seeing a simulation video for the Ford GT, GTE. Yep. Mm. And basically, they had the full-centre monocoque of the car. Okay. Full interior, and they had a huge... Wrap on a motion platform, and they had a huge wraparound screen in front of it. Yeah, well, of course, when we were at university, we had um, former student, we had our sort of very... Well, we never got to use it, but, <laughs> but we had our little um, simulator, um, which was basically a bucket-type seat with a triple triple TV screen-sized monitor um, in front of us, which, you know, it wasn't bad. It's, 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 it's... Actually, if I go back a step, that was a direct drive wheel as well. Oh, was it really? Yeah, that's why it felt so much different <laughs> to everything we had. Yeah, so it felt yeah, like... and that did feel very. I have to say, I didn't do use it much. Obviously, as Sean said, we didn't get to use it that much. But um, but when we did use it, it did feel very, very realistic. I had a brilliant crash. And with, with the motion movement as well for it, I think that that obviously adds to it. When you actually hit the brakes and you move forwards in the belts a little bit, and yeah, and you feel it in your chest you when, you, when you hit the brakes or when you move about through the corners you actually feel it a little bit that obviously adds a lot to it hmm. obviously that's prohibitive for most consumers it is getting less prohibitive admittedly um consumer grade companies like fanatic are now starting to introduce direct drive wheels yeah yeah they are very they are very nice I will actually say there are cheaper direct drive wheel options on the market um, from, like most of these things, from sort of small specialist companies. I yeah. can actually find a direct drive wheel for as low as £500. Which is not that much more than a high-grade Thrustmaster. Although you get a lot less in the box than with a high-grade Thrustmaster. Yeah, true. I mean, That's a lot true. less. <laughs> Is it just the motor, basically, and you put your iron wheel on the front? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But so that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, you'd also need to source yourself pedals and everything else. It's definitely always the case that you tend to invest what you get out of it, apart from if, if you're just doing it for sim racing by yourself, you can get away, like, like Al said, for example, you have a sort of 
a, 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 a tubular frame with some cut with some uh, not cardboard some wood on the outside and um, you've got a, a racing wheel on yours from your old uh, stock car um, yeah I don't use that one anymore but I have had that on my sims at various times of course you have your um, 3d printed one now don't you no that one's still in the prototype phase so uh, i've got uh actually one of Thrustmasters offerings which is enough. a 300 mil ferrari replica yeah but like you say if you want to get the nth degree of simulation and all the rest you have to spend still have to spend lots and lots of money but that's the case with anything you that anyone tries to do um but yeah generally speaking it's 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 becoming more and more accessible the technology is becoming more widespread and one day you never know once people have their their sim rooms as they as everyone should um it'll be it'll be a pretty good good world to live yeah well, i think it's it's definitely moving forwards as almost an alternative branch of motorsport yeah in the same way that um sort of karting is almost the 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 feeder series for most things yeah so yeah i think it's kind of getting towards that sort of not quite as that ilk because we haven't had a sim racer move into cars and then win them on or win well, a Formula One race or something. We haven't mentioned yeah. this yet. had them have class wins at Le Mans. I was about to say, we haven't had the GT um, Academy. Lucas Ordonez, I'm yeah. pretty sure, has an LMP2 class win. Interestingly, I seem to remember, because of PlayStation and Nissan's GT Academy, they had um, drivers in the GT3 Blaupen series. Yeah, yeah, Marvin Brothers did that for a little while, didn't he? Yeah, they actually specifically said that the GT Academy drivers weren't allowed to drive in the same car. And the reason for this is obviously that series is divided on driver rating, isn't it? Mm. So you get Pro, Pro-Am, and it depends on the makeup of who's in the car. They weren't allowed to drive in the same car because essentially they didn't have much real-world experience. But they had a lot of sim experience, and they'd gone through a big competition with a lot of people to get where they were. So they were sort of they were faster than their driver rating reflected, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so you quite often see in in kind of well, I, I, well, you do see it occasionally, don't you? That a driver just comes out of nowhere. Yeah, so. Wicked. In some respects, they really did come out of nowhere because they had little real-world racing experience. So they came into a GT3 car, obviously because of the lack of experience, lowly rated, but surprisingly fast. So, yeah, they got specifically told they weren't allowed to be in the same car. <laughs> I do wonder if... Because um, obviously, I don't, I don't think Nissan do the GT Academy anymore, do they? Unless they... No, no not I in the same it... sort of way. There's the Grand Turismo World Series now instead, which yeah. is kind of In-house. Yeah, the I winner of that. I think the GT Academy partly ended because there was a big driving force in it at Nissan, which, again, I'm happy to be corrected, I think was Ben Bloby, who was also responsible for the GTR Nismo, yeah, the Delta you know, the front-wheel drive Lamarca. And after that sank like a lead balloon, I think he had to fall on his sword. Oh, come on, we can't we can't have a go at the <laughs> Nissan when Chris isn't here. We can't discuss the GC Academy when Chris isn't here yeah. either, because <laughs> I feel like he would have things to say about that. Yeah, we'll, that. we'll bring him on for, um, for another episode. Eight things? 
<laughs> several things. Well, he is Mr. Eighth Place, isn't he, when it comes to Gran Turismo? Um, yes. Anyway, um, unless you guys have got much more to discuss, I think for the for the intro discussion we'll have we've had here, um, I think that's more or less all I wanted to speak about really with this one. Um, Sam, obviously, feel free to do your little plug for uh, your your series and. Um... Yeah, of course. Yeah, so we got um, Community Sim Racing on Facebook. Find us on the group. Uh, we're on Xbox primarily, but we've got a few PlayStation members, so the more the merrier, really. Um, and obviously, my Instagram, Sam Green 0109, which is also my Xbox gamer tag. So add me on there, and we'll have a race. Yeah, um, we should also say that uh, Sam, obviously, with our little, our friend, our friend, a good old friendship, which is between Sam Green Engineering and Stabby Automotive, will be uh, constantly updating each other's um, sort of feeds. So feel free to. Have a look on both pages. Follow both, please. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so we'll, and we'll be uh, sort of talking more about sim racing, the, uh, the your series in particular, and sort of the the general. Which we'll bring Chris as well to so sort of get the his his perspective as well, because I'm sure he'll have some more uh, more to, more, more yeah, points some opinions. To, yeah, uh, of course. But until then, um, Al, thank you very much for joining us on uh, this episode. Thank you for inviting me along. Hopefully, I get to come back at some point. Oh, I don't see why not, Sam. It's your series, so you can decide that. I, I don't see why not, no. <laughs> cool. Until well, then. Just bring biscuits next time. Well, that's, no, yeah. <laughs> that's, no, that, that's no good for the internet, is it? We can't eat them. I mean, you could post me biscuits. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite biscuit? No. Anyway. Anyway. Beside the point. That's a, follow that's... me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter, yeah. um, follow Stelvio on Twitter and Facebook, and yeah. I'm on Facebook as, as well. As Stelvio also. Alice is on there, but he doesn't do a lot. Um, <laughs> he, do, he, uh, he does yeah, do... So... No, come on. Al does do an, some articles for me very occasionally. No, he's not on Facebook very much. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I've been holding off posting on Facebook because I hadn't done any articles for Sean. And I, I didn't want to kind of steal content that I was planning to write for him. Uh, anyway, on that bombshell, um, yeah, we'll see you next time on uh, Sam Green Message Engineering. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, follow everyone on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, whatever else. Um, and of course, YouTube. And uh, we shall see you next time. Thank you for listening. Take care and goodbye.